Hi, my name is Kyle Bomstead and I'm a member here with Restored Church. Uh, if you're new, we want to say welcome and thank you for tuning in. Uh, we believe that church is not an event, but a family that you belong to, so we would love the opportunity to be able to connect with you. Uh, if you want to learn more about our church or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website at restoredtemecula.church and click on contact. We also have a mobile app with resources, including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on the Apple or Android app stores. Uh, with all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. Good morning, my name is Herod. I'm the pastors here along with Tom. I want to welcome you to our Sunday gathering. I'm going to preach now. And we're going to continue our series. It's called Priesthood. Uh, beholding through... No, that's not what it's called. <laughs> Just kidding. You guys are paying attention. It's called Priesthood, Restoring Our Priestly Identity. And this is a series that was really born out of this sense that we have as a, as a pastoral team that God wants to restore a really important part of our identity to us as his people. Now, one of the pictures that I love most of the, the disciple is of a child coming up to a father with hands open, with an ask, with a petition, saying, Daddy, this. My kids do this all the time. I have three kids. I have a three-year-old, Ellie, and she comes up to me, Daddy, I want to play. Or, Daddy, I want this. Or, Daddy, I want Minnie. I want Minnie Botoons, which if your kid asks you that, the answer is always no. <laughs> Unless you want them to be vain and die young. <laughs> oh. Is this life? <laughs> so there's a, re there's a reality of like coming before our Father. If, by the way, if you're new, if you believe in Jesus, uh, God becomes your Father. And so that makes you brothers and sisters and us brothers and sisters. So there's that. But there's also another part of being a disciple that's really important. And that's not so much the coming with hands open asking. It's, I'm going to use hands again. It's this. It's ascribing worth. So as, as disciples, we need both. We need both. We need petition and praise. So we're not anti-petition by any means. We need to come as children every day. Our Father takes care of our needs, our daily bread, right? But what we're talking about is recovering this part, ministering to God. If you're anything like me, that <laughs> uh, when you hear somebody say, bless God, uh, you're like, did he sneeze? Um, what does that mean? Uh, that was a joke. <laughs> God is not a man that he should sneeze, everybody. Um, although he, he took on flesh and became a man, Jesus. But, uh, but blessing God is this concept that feels very different. But it's like, a, so here's the idea. Priests are people, we're, we're, we're recovering this priestly identity, and people, priests are people who reorient their life around devotion to God and ministering to him. They are devoted to blessing him. Why? Because he's worthy. Because he's worthy. And so it's, it's this, it's the raised hand. And so we're recovering this as a church community. And for me, this really started uh, back in November. Uh, we went to a conference in Dallas, and I remember sitting there the first night of the conference, and it was, um, man, like they hit the gas pedal with worship fast. And I was like, whoa. I don't know if you guys remember that ride at California Adventure. I don't know if it's still there, but it's the one that's the countdown, like three, two, one, and then 
Rocket Rods? Incredicoaster. It was a spiritual Incredicoaster for me because it just went like from zero to 100 and we were like praising and worshiping and I was like, ah, I need a little warm up. This is intense. Uh, it, was, it was uncomfortable for me. It was really uncomfortable. I, I think I'm more comfortable sitting under teaching than I am with hands raised, just praising and worshiping exuberantly. But by the uh, third day of the conference, I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait to get in there and minister to God and praise him. And I experienced him in profound ways. I'm going to start my timer now. Oops. Um, So this has been something that's been growing in my heart for months. And so this series, I feel like, has been really good for me. And I know it's been good for for many of you. So today, we're going to go ahead and dive into 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. We're going to explore an aspect of of being priests. We're going to explore something that if we don't have in our lives, we can't really be priests in in the full sense of the word. So this is an essential part, uh, a basic element of being a priest. So if you'll turn with me over to 1 Peter chapter, t- chapter 5, nope, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, I'm going to go ahead and read this out of the ESV. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. In the ESV, it's, the header there is the living stone and a holy people. It says this, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, Envy and all slander, like newborn infants desire the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow up into your salvation, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by people but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. If you were here at the beginning of the service, we talked, Mark read some scripture about offering sacrifices to God. Priests offer sacrifices to God. This is an enormous part of our identity as as priests. Uh, But today what we're going to do is we're going to focus on verses 2 to 3. So I'm going to reread those verses again. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 to 3 say this, like newborn infants desire the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow up into your salvation if you have tasted that the Lord is good. So here's the big idea for today. If you're a note taker, I want you to write this down. The big idea for today is this. Good luck growing without scripture. Good luck growing without scripture. Now, this is going to be a a talk around scripture, but it goes without saying good luck growing without the spirit. But we're just going to be talking about scripture today. Much in the same way that I want to pit asking God versus describing worth to him in praise. I don't want to pit the scriptures against the spirit. But we're going to focus on the, on the scripture today. And the spirit will make this true to you. That's what he does. Good luck growing without scripture. Uh, if, you, if you've been around a nursing mother, uh, maybe you are, there's some nursing mothers in the room. Lots of love and appreciation for nursing moms. For moms in general, moms like sacrifice their body for their children to, to give birth. It's like the, if you've ever been in a room where someone's been delivered, well, we've all been there. A room where someone's been delivered uh, into the world. I guess we've all been there. If you've been consciously in the room, aware of what's happening in there, uh, there's a sense of a mother like dying. It's the closest thing I've seen to someone dying was my wife giving birth. Um, I've actually... Sure. It was a beautiful moment. It was a beautiful moment. And here's why. 
because it was a bloody mess. Life comes through blood, through the shedding of blood. And so why am I mentioning this? Uh, Peter picks up this, this picture of a mother nursing. So it dignifies mothers and children uh, in, a, in a fresh way. Think about this. A newborn baby instinctively is eager to be breastfed. If you guys can throw out quote number one. I was thinking about this quote during the week, this week. This is from Dr. Michael Eaton. Uh, he wrote a commentary on 1 Peter, and he said this. He said, reflecting on these verses that we read today about the, uh, the milk, pure milk of the word, which is a reference to like a newborn baby drinking milk. Like a newborn baby that is instinctively eager to be breastfed, disciples must develop a hunger for the word of God. So I've been in the room when my wife's given birth three times, and it's like you get going with the breastfeeding very quickly. It's like the baby's crying out, and, and um, actually, I remember I was once, uh, which baby was this? This was baby number two, Addie. Uh, she came, uh, she was born, and uh, immediately I noticed like, oh, she's like a slightly different color than Josh, who was, who was born first. And she's not really crying. I, I was concerned right away. Like, oh, this isn't good. So they grabbed her, they took her, and they put her under, I guess it would be a heat lamp. Anybody know what that's called? I think it's called a heat lamp. <laughs> they put her under this heat lamp, and, uh, and Heather was like, where's my baby? Where's my baby? And so the, the nurses are like trying to work on Addie and massage her and stuff. And it was amazing. As soon as Heather was like, give me my baby. Uh, as soon as, as she grabbed Addie, and she started nursing, like, Addie came to life. Uh, I don't know that she wasn't, I don't know what was going on with Addie, she just didn't look right. But it was like, as soon as she started receiving that, that connection with mom and started to receive uh, that, that milk and those nutrients, she was, she was good to go and she didn't have any, any problems, anything lingering. So like a child that's just been born, disciples are called to long for this word, the word of God. Peter's not actually referring to any kind of intellectualism that is hungry for teaching. So this is, um, this is something that I'll, I'm going to unpack a little bit more, but just roll with me for a second. So Peter's not referring to any kind of intellectualism that is hungry for teaching, simply as a form of intellectual entertainment. Okay? So again, this is real connection to God through his word, as real as a nursing mother with her child, with her son or daughter. It's real connection. This is not an abstract concept that we're longing for here. That's not what he's talking about. It's not the excitement of being a student that excites the Christian. Rather, it's something more personal, a hunger to hear God's voice, again, to connect with him. Now, I had some time to think about it, and I want to keep my remarks brief because this, just as a side note, I'm becoming more and more convinced what I'm doing right now is not the main event of Sunday mornings. It's the praises of the people as we respond to him. So all I'm doing is just setting up, I'm just trying to give you reasons to praise this morning. Now, I want to, I want to help you um, because I think we, we just, good luck growing without scripture, right? It's the big idea for today. But I've noticed something, and this might be like a, something that's uniquely prevalent to highly churched areas, although it's not limited to that. But there are ways in which you can get stuck in scripture too. So I want to address those really, really quickly. There are ways that you can actually find yourself spiritually stunted in the scriptures. And so I came up with the idea of like five off ramps, if you guys could throw those up on the screen. Five off-ramps that kind of stunt your spiritual growth in the scriptures. Because we all know people who really know the Bible, but they're not all that loving. Um, we all know people that, that really know the scriptures, but it's like, I don't feel like, I don't feel any closer to Jesus when I talk to you. 
Um, actually, I feel kind of beat up and it hurt. And I've been there. So I just want to recognize the reality that before we really dive into like, what I want to say this morning, like, we need to be careful about how we approach the scriptures. So I want to give you five off-ramps that I have experienced in my life. This is personal, personal reflections on the life of Herrick Berger as a disciple. And what, I rec- what I'm recognizing is it's not always pretty. It's, it's messy. So off-ramp number one is what Michael Eaton was talking about. We can approach the scriptures sometimes and we intellectualize them instead of internalizing them. It can become an intellectual exercise for us. Sometimes it's because we're just intellectually curious, which is not wrong. It's not wrong. I'm not saying that we should bypass our intellect at all. I'm just saying, if it never moves down into the realm where this becomes your reality that you possess, it could be an intellectual exercise that you're actually engaging in. I know this because I've done this. I've done this myself. I have I've had periods in my life, I can't get too much into it for the sake of time, but I've had periods in my life where I've spent more time in Scripture, maybe than I'd ever, ever had, and I was more combative and angry than I'd ever been. Because I was, I was approaching the text, not with a, a posture of, I need this milk, I'm not craving this word so that I can grow up. I'm craving ammunition to prove a point doctrinally. So it's very important that we not intellectualize the scriptures. We need to internalize them. Uh, Second thing, second off-ramp, is that sometimes we approach the scriptures seeking to find a way to explain them, not actually experience them. So sometimes we, we look to the scripture to be able to explain them to others rather than to experience them for ourselves. So I'll give you an example of what this could look like. Uh, there was a, a period of time where uh, you know, it, uh, our gospel community was like putting reflections every day on the scripture, which by the way is a good thing, a really good thing. But I noticed that in those moments, sometimes because it's like we, we share our observations and our reflections, I can actually be more um, reading the text so that I can explain this to them rather than experience this for me, if that makes sense. I'm putting it on a, on a thread so others can see it, which isn't bad by any means. It's a really good thing. It's something I hope that we, we are doing as a church or grow into as a church community. But it can be about, oh, I can explain this. And it can easily bypass my, my soul. Next thing, critique, not crave. Critique, not crave. These are all attitudes that can stunt our growth in the scriptures. Now, this is probably more about like how to sit under, like when other people are talking or explaining the scriptures. But I remember once I was in a church uh, in San Diego about 11, 12 years ago. And I remember sitting there, like thinking about what was being said and how I could do it better. Um, I, I think at that point in time in my life, like there was a genuine call, but what I lacked was character. Uh, because I was just sitting there critical or critiquing the, the sermon, critiquing the pastor. And, and the reality was there was some stuff that needed to be brought up, which I eventually did bring up. Um, so it's not that you can never have a critique. But notice what, what Peter says. He says, like, newborn babes crave the word. It's actually, that's how the NLT and the NIV translate that word. And in the CSB, it's desire. So when I'm talking about craving, like, you could have good cravings. You could certainly have bad cravings as well. But I'm talking about the good craving of actually longing for the milk of the word. And, but sometimes it's possible to show up to the Bible or the, to the teaching of Scripture to critique it, not actually craving that milk. 
And so when that happens, you can't really connect to what God is saying and doing through the word by a spirit. Okay, off ramp number four. And this is the path to spiritual growth includes the scriptures. These are off ramps that we can take off the path. Burden, not beauty. We can approach the scriptures as a burden and not what they are. It's a beauty, a beautiful experience with God. Uh, this is like the checklist. I don't know if you've ever been in a spot in your Christian life uh, where you kind of approach it as a checklist of all the things I need to do. And so it becomes, it can become a burden. It's like, oh, I got to do this, then I got to do this, then I got to do this, then I got to read scripture too, and I got to pray, and it all just feels like a burden. Uh, rather than I get to. Rather than I get to. I got to versus I get to is the, the key distinction here that I'm, that I'm trying to make. And so over the course of time, that can become a burden that gets, and you could end up like kind of falling off. And so it's, it's normal when it's a burden like that rather than something that is beautiful. And last but certainly not least, behaving, not beholding. Okay, so Tom talked about how beholding leads to becoming. If you were here over the last couple of weeks, you will have heard this. As we behold Jesus, as we see him, we become like him. That's the idea there. But sometimes we can approach scripture as though all it's doing is informing us on our behavior. As though all it's doing is just telling us what to do. Does scripture tell us what to do? It does. It has a lot to say about that. Because this was, these were, well, and especially in the New Testament, these were letters written to different churches that needed help. So they had specific ways to grow, practically. But at the same time, if we go into the scriptures looking for behavior rather than beholding Jesus, we can lose our way. We can lose our way. Now, I want to be clear. Like, There's a time and a place for, for all of these. There's a time and a place where we need to explain, we, we need to critique, where we need to press in when we don't feel like it, when scripture feels like a burden. And there's times where we need to figure out how to behave. That's real. So I'm not saying no to that by any means. Don't hear me say that. I'm not saying that. It's not a problem. Uh, what I'm simply saying is that if any of these represent our dominant attitude towards the scripture, we could be in trouble. And good luck growing without scripture, like connecting to God through the scriptures. So we have to be careful because in time, what can happen is rather than feeling praise, it can feel pride. Our time in scripture can feel pride rather than praise. And it will stunt our progress. If you want more P words, I'm going to think of some for later. Okay? Pride is not the goal. But we can all fall into it. It's just a part of the human condition. So with that said, I want to go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 15 to 18. Here's the idea of progress. Okay, so this is, this is uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 15 to 18. It says, this is the Apostle Paul writing, he says, still today, whenever Moses is read, okay, so whenever Moses is read, so when, the, when the, the, the Torah, the first few books of the Bible, the first five are read, Paul's saying like a veil hangs over certain people's hearts, but whenever a person turns to the Lord, so it's possible to read Moses without turning to the Lord. It's possible to read scripture without turning to God. Just sit with that for a second. It is possible. He's not talking about people that were like priesters, uh, you know, church. And by the way, if, if I'm not bashing, if you're here twice a year, wonderful. You get to be a part of the house of God twice. I'm just saying that these are, he's not talking to people whose commitment to God is still being defined. 
He's talking to people whose commitment, he's talking about people whose commitment to God is clearly defined. And he's saying, you can read Moses, but you can miss Jesus completely. Because there's a veil that hangs over. But when someone turns to God, that veil is removed. I had no idea about this when I was growing up, when I was young. I was in and around church for many years. I grew up Roman Catholic, and there was a veil that hung over me. I just didn't see Jesus. I didn't. I was just there. But once that veil was removed, I got to experience the Spirit of God. Now, where the Lord is, is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I think there's a little more to that. We got one more verse. Do we have verse 18? No, I got it. We all, there you go. We all with unveiled faces. So there was a veil that hung over the reading of Scripture that anyone can have, even people that are deeply committed. But when that veil is removed, we are looking as in a mirror at the glory of God, and we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Beholding Jesus through his scriptures leads to becoming like him. So rather than experiencing the pride that I was talking to you guys about that we can experience in reading the scripture, if we approach the scripture in a, trying to find Jesus in it or seeking to connect with Jesus in it, seeking to, to be nourished by him, we will make progress. It's inevitable. Now, I wanted to put this to the test this week, so what I ended up doing is I, I prayed about it, and I was like, how do I set up this message? Because I could just keep, I could talk about the Bible, I could give you like a bunch of different ideas about what the Bible is, but I thought I would instead, I had this idea on Tuesday that I would basically just read the Bible for a week and then tell you guys about it. So here's my Bible reflection starting on Tuesday. You guys ready? Tuesday. All I tried to do was read scripture to see Jesus. Tuesday, Genesis 4, verses 3 to 8, the story of Cain and Abel, chapter 4 of the Bible. That's coming next, my reflection. I'm also going to share that with you guys. I'm going to go ahead and read these verses. Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 to 8. Say this. So this is Cain and Abel, uh, Adam and Eve's kids. So this is the kind of the preeminent family here at the beginning of Scripture. And what a family it is. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. Okay, priests, what do they do? They offer. They make sacrifices. They offer things to God. And what they were doing here, uh, which seems random, the first time you read this, oh my gosh, you read Genesis, like, why are they doing this? But then you keep reading the rest of the five books of Moses, and then you see, oh, the people were actually instructed to bring offerings to God. This isn't random. They were to take of what God had given them and then give back some of it as a token, as a thank you to God. That's what Cain and Abel is doing. Notice Cain is not, not doing it. He's doing it. Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And as Abel, Abel was his brother, also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. So Cain was mad. This is where the great wrestling feud, Undertaker and Cain, comes from. You know what I'm talking about? It's cool. But Cain and Abel, Cain and Abel, they were two brothers, and something went wrong in their relationship. And it actually didn't have much to do with them. It had to do with God. Did you notice that? Did Abel do anything wrong? No. No? 
You just brought an offering to the Lord. But look at what happens to Cain. The Lord said to Cain, why are you furious? Why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? He's saying, turn to me, Cain. Turn to me. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain then said to his brother, in verse 8, Cain is not responsive. Not responsive to God. And so instead of listening to God and turning to him, Cain says, let's go to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. I believe they call this infratricide. Can anybody confirm that? Nope. Cool. We're going to go with that. It's when a sibling kills their, their own brother or sister. That was Tuesday in the Bible. But I spent some time thinking about this. And so I, I, I wanted to share like, my reflection after thinking about it. This is Tuesday. If you guys want to put my, this is my scripture uh, journal here. Tuesday. Sin is a master that alienates us from God and each other. And as soon as that came to mind, I started weeping. I'm not like a big crier. I've gotten in touch with my feelings over the last three years a little bit more. And so it's not like it never happens, but I don't usually cry when I'm reading scripture. But as soon as I, those words came out of my mouth, I was just talking to myself. I guess I was talking to God about it. I just started weeping. Because among many other things, sin, it wants to rule over me and over humanity. And what it wants to do is separate us from God, alienation. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced alienation, what it's like to be alienated from someone that you were once close to. Maybe you've experienced like a breakdown, whether that's a divorce or a relationship that couldn't be reconciled or whatever. It's extraordinarily painful. It's extraordinarily painful to be alienated from someone. I started reflecting on my life and I realized like that was my life. I was alienated from God. Like I said, was telling you guys earlier, I grew up, I was in and around the church, but that veil was there. That veil hung over me. And so uh, when I turned 18, I stopped with the church thing because I didn't have to do it anymore. That was out of my parents' house. And then I, I spent five years like completely wandering. Now, the beautiful part was there was people in my life who were there to tell me about Jesus. So it's not like the plan of God wasn't in motion. It totally was. But as far as my experience, I was lost, alienated from God. And it broke my heart to think about that because that is what sin does. And sin is effective. It does the job. Tuesday. Sin is a master that alienates us from God and each other. Now, as I started thinking about it and chewing on it, the other thing that filled my mind and heart after, after like sorrow was gratitude. Because what is the Bible ultimately about? It's about a sin bearer. It's about a sin bearer who came so that we would not be alienated from God anymore, but actually have access to him by faith. So on the one hand, kind of like a crazy person, I'm like weeping and tears crying and then like happy. I don't know if you've ever had a friend who's like laugh cries. I had a friend in college. I won't say their name in case they listen to this, but um, I've seen people laugh cry, and I felt like laugh crying on, uh, on Tuesday. So that was Tuesday. Let's go on to Wednesday. I want to speed this up a little bit. Exodus chapter 3, verses 10 to 12. Exodus chapter 3, verses 10 to 12. This is my next passage. So this passage is about Moses and Yahweh. Yahweh is the God 
of the Israelites. His name is, he reveals his name as Yahweh. Um, and so Moses and Yahweh, the whole Bible is about him. So verses 10 to 12, Exodus 3, had a story that, that struck me. And this is the Lord, chapter 10, speaking to Moses. If you're not familiar with the story, the people of Israel were in exile, were, they were under oppression in Egypt by Pharaoh. They were using the people of Israel in Egypt as manual labor, forced labor. They were slaves. And so the people start to cry out to God. This is the great moment of redemption in the history of the Bible uh, before Christ came. This is what prepares us for Jesus, is, is God's response to the people's slavery. And this is God talking to Moses, and he says, go, Moses, I'm sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, if you don't know this, Moses ran away from Pharaoh because he killed a guy. His anger got the best of him, repeatedly in the, in the, in the Bible. It's a whole other story that I can't get into right now. So God's saying, go back to Pharaoh. Go back to the place you ran away from. And so Moses naturally is a little apprehensive, and he says, well, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And he tries to come up with all these different reasons to get out of it, all these reasons to get out of it. And God responds to him and says, I certainly will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. And the story goes on and on. And Moses tries to get out of it, but there's no getting out of it. And so, as I was chewing on this one, it struck me that I, I can resonate a lot with Moses. Uh, as a child, if my parents were here, they'd be nodding. But as a child, I used to, my anger got the best of me regularly. I was the little boy who would get into fist fights at birthday parties. You probably have one of those kids at your birthday parties. Maybe you were that kid. Hopefully, you haven't had that kid at your birthday party, but I was that kid at the birthday party. Either way. And so... I used to, my, my anger got the best of me repeatedly. And so reading the story of Moses has been really instructive to me because Moses, Moses' anger got the best of him regularly too. And yet, what does God do with Moses? He still works through him. still works through him. And Moses is fearful too, which I've been known to struggle with that a little bit too. And so here's my Wednesday reflection. Wednesday. You work through weakness to do wonders. That was Wednesday. That was a good day. Because I feel my weakness all the time. All the time. And if you're here and if you're a follower of Jesus, you feel it too. He works through weakness to do wonders. And he did do a ton of wonders through Moses, but it wasn't through Moses, really. It was, but it wasn't. It was God working through Moses. It's not like Moses had the power to turn the Nile River to blood. Uh, that belonged to Yahweh. But God worked through Moses. And it was just this reminder, like, I can work through you and your weakness. I can work through you and your weakness to do wonders. That really encouraged me. And it reminded me of the cross. Is there a weaker picture, a weaker moment in human history than a person hanging on a cross, slowly asphyxiating to death? That's what Jesus did. The, the king of glory that we sang about was this was his throne for the sins of, of people, for the sin of Cain, for the sin of the world. And he did the, the most incredible wonder of all. He reconciled us to himself through his cross. So now my weakness is no barrier at all 
There's no hindrance. That was Wednesday. Let's move on to Thursday. Leviticus. I still got two more days. Leviticus 25. Everybody's favorite book of the Bible, Leviticus. I've actually spent like the last four or five weeks in Leviticus. It's good. It legitimately is good. But my goodness. So these verses stood out to me on Thursday as I was reading. This, by the way, I did all this reading. I didn't have commentaries in front of me. I had the ESV study Bible. If you have a, and the reason I did that is that I wanted to do this in a way that any disciple could replicate. Not every disciple has access to all these commentaries that we have as pastors, but everybody's got some like tool, some Bible aid. Uh, so that's all I used was the, the study Bible, the ESV. And this is out of the CSB. Here we go. Leviticus 25, 35 to 38. It says, if your brother becomes destitute and cannot sustain himself among you, you were to support him as an alien or temporary resident so that he can continue to live among you. So these are all the laws that govern the way that Israel was going to treat each other. If your brother's in a bad way, bring him in. Don't profit or take interest from him, but fear your God and let your brother live among you. You are not to lend him your silver with interest or sell him food for profit. Don't profit off of his pain. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. God points them back to his compassion when he's instructing them on how to relate to each other. This This was Thursday. My reflection for Thursday, if you guys could throw it up. Grace creates a community of compassion. The grace of God creates a community of compassion. And of course, this is in Leviticus. Leviticus. With animal sacrifices and all kinds of other things that I just don't even, I can't get into right now for the sake of time, but I can have fun with it. I'm not. All kinds of stuff going on in Leviticus that feels pretty foreign and odd and strange. Look at this. This sounds familiar to you if you've been a part of the church for a while? Now, if you haven't, I have good news for you. Okay, despite how foreign and odd the Bible feels sometimes, it's, it, it touches the deepest longings of the human heart. Who doesn't want a community of compassion to belong to? Name me one person. Maybe someone just gets so jaded to the point where they can no longer believe it's possible, okay. But let's just assume you're not jaded beyond... This is what we were, we were created for. And this is exactly what Jesus came to do. We could read Romans 12. I just don't have time. But Jesus came to create a community of compassion where his salvation, just like Israel was saved, and then because of God's salvation and his compassion and mercy, he's like, be merciful to each other. In the same way Jesus showed us mercy by giving up his life for us. So let me, let me make this really, I, I read this in a book by Ronald Rawheiser. I think that's how you pronounce his name. He talked about how on the cross, here's what Jesus did. Uh, he took our, our bitterness and he absorbed it. He held it. He transformed it. And then he gave us back graciousness. Okay? Did you guys just catch what I said? He absorbed our bitterness. This is one example. You could talk about anything. Our anger, um, our rage, our whatever. Anything that's evil, he, he absorbed it into himself He held it, he transformed it, and he gave us back grace. That's what Jesus did on the cross. That's the gospel. And so what that does is it teaches us how to relate to each other. 
I'm still in Leviticus. I'm just seeing Jesus all over it. Now last, but certainly not least, Friday. I'm just gonna read one verse, Matthew 6, 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. Oof. I've read Matthew 6, and I'll just, I'll just keep it really brief. If I lose sight of the reward, I grow resentful, is what my takeaway was. Because I went, started going down into the rest of Matthew 6, where he starts talking about money, and he starts talking about treasure, and he starts talking about how if you serve money, you're going to hate God, and you can't serve both. I realized, and this is where it got really personal, that I really needed to hear that because I had lost sight of the reward and was growing resentful towards God. This was Saturday, yesterday. We were, um, let's this brief. We were uh, thinking about, uh, we, have, we have nieces and we all want to do like a, a trip to Disneyland together. Now, if you don't know this, I'm just becoming aware of this. Disneyland, when I moved here to America, uh, back in 93, from America, Puerto Rico, um, the yearly pass, I think, was like $99 to Disneyland. Does anybody remember this? Yeah. Can anybody confirm that this is true? Yes. Yes. Okay. V- vouched for. I never paid for it, so I, but that's what I remember, because I was nine. Um, and I didn't have an allowance, because I didn't do whatever. $99. Now you can pay $99 for a lightsaber, <laughs> is, is what I've discovered. $99 might not get you in the parking lot at Disneyland. It's dumb. I can think of a lot of, I can't, I can't rant. This is about Jesus. But I recognize something. Okay, I'm going I'm to say this, and I just want you guys to, just to follow with me for a second. When Heather talked to me about it, I was like, hey, are we going to do this or not? I got really irritated. And I got really frustrated. And I was like, just tell them that we might or we might not be able to. And she was like, what kind of an answer is that? <laughs> That's a flaky answer. And I was like, I'm not being flaky. I'm not angry. <laughs> and then, uh, man, the, just the best timing. I was supposed to pick up milk on Friday night after the men's social, and I forgot. And then one of the kids woke up, so I had to go get milk. So I had to separate myself from that situation, which was actually really helpful so I could think clearly. And so I was gone for about 15 minutes down to the store. And I was like, what was that? You ever have one of those moments after you've had a conversation that's not yet finished? You're like, what, in, what, what was that? And as I started processing and thinking about it, you know what came to mind? Matthew 6. You can't serve God and money. You're going to be, you're going to hate the one and be devoted to the other. And what I recognized was that I was becoming resentful at God because we didn't, I didn't have the stuff that we needed, at least at this point. We're still working on it. I think it's going to be fine, but my point was, this was flowing out of unbelief. This was flowing out of unbelief. I was actually looking at money as, as master, and I was angry at God because, for, for a number of reasons. Because I felt like, well, serving him has put me in this position, which is a terrible way to think about this. But that's just telling you where I was. And so I'm, not, I'm saying this literally so you know, as a pastor, I can grow resentful towards God and not even know it. 
So I'm just letting you know that this could, this could happen to you too. What ended up happening to me was that the words of Jesus came to mind about how you can actually hate God. If, you're, if you love money, you can hate God, practically speaking. And I was, I was angry at him. And so by the time I got home from picking up milk down at the bottom of the hill, I was in a totally different place. And I told Heather, like, Heather, I think I resent God because of our finance, you know, finances. And part of it's just like inflation and all this stuff that we have no control over. I didn't realize that I was like, God, why are you letting this happen? And I wasn't dealing with it in that way. I wasn't wrestling with God, so I was loaded with all this other stuff. Resentment. And so if I lose sight of the reward, I grow resentful was what Friday was for me. Because I can't love God and love money. I will resent one or the other. So that was, that was my week, guys. And it actually led me to repentance. I was able to reconcile with my wife and I was able to say, like, God, now I'm, like, excited. I'm like, God, this is what we need. You do it. You know what, you know what our heart's desire is. You do it. I was actually able to get to the point where I was, I was thinking about Leviticus. Again, I've been in Leviticus for a few weeks. And that idea of the offering came to mind. Of, like, hey, the reason why we give, the reason why we're generous is because it's all his anyway. He gave it to us. So practicing this stuff, following his way, if it's hard, it's Okay. It's okay. It's actually good. And it puts me in a position of trust and dependence and not taking things into my own hands. So that was my week, guys. That was my week. So I'll leave you with a final thought on this. Good luck growing without scripture. Good luck growing without scripture. And here's why. The scriptures help us to see our Savior. And as we behold him, we become like him. Jesus was sent on a rescue mission for me. And he was broke. And he was laughed at, he was spit at, he was mocked. Uh, He was hated by his own. If you think about the Cain and Abel story, Israel's kind of like Cain, killing their own brother. Jesus was a a, a member of the family of Israel. But interestingly, if you read the Gospels, it's not just Israel who's there killing Jesus, it's the Gentiles too. It's the world together rejecting its Messiah. And so for me, one of the things that I recognized is that the scriptures help us to see the love of our Savior. And that's what softens my heart. And that's what actually leads me to this posture of surrender. And if you're in a posture of surrender, which you can use in your hands, you can go like this, it's not difficult to go from here to here. It's not. If you're in a posture of surrender, this comes naturally. So I'm going to call the band up, but I want, to, I want to land the plane here. Like, you and I need scripture. You guys, we need scripture in order to actually grow. So I just want to ask a quick question, no judgment. Is scripture a part of your life? Is scripture reading in any meaningful way like a part of your life? And if it's not, I just want to encourage you. You can start that today. It can literally begin today. Uh, we have something actually on our website that is called Eat and Speak. So if you go on the Restored website, it's on there, and it's a Bible reading plan. You can read it. You can start reading it today. And in fact, you can start sharing how God is ministering to you with people in your community. That's a wonderful thing. It's called Eat and Speak, and I can't get into it. Tom did a whole message on it. You can look it up. It's on our website. But in the end, the end of Eat and Speak is speak. Eat has to do with actually dealing with what's going on in the text and the scripture 
But speak is to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what priests do. So as you engage with God in scripture, you can actually begin to do that. You can proclaim his excellencies because you are being nurtured by him. God's not scared to be, uh, he's not scared in the scripture. God is referred to as a nursing mother sometimes. So he's obviously not put off by that, that imagery. He wants to nurse you. He wants to help you to grow. You see children, from the time they're born, my daughter Addie, I talked about her earlier, from the time that she started feeding, every day she just kept growing and growing, and now she's like this tall. And she's funny, and she's amazing, and all the things, but there was a process of, of feeding. And so, church, like, you can feed. If you're not currently, you can feed. And I'm just here to remind you, like, good luck growing without scripture. But if you have scripture and you approach it to encounter Jesus, you will grow. You will. So I'm gonna invite you to stand up. I'm gonna call Tom up here so that he can set up a response time. Beholding leads to becoming, and the scriptures help us. Hmm. Father, thank you. Thank you that you've given us your word and your spirit. And I pray that as a church community, we would give ourselves over to reading the Bible in ways that help us come face to face with Jesus every day. If, if there's people in this room that still have the veil, would you lift that veil so that they could see him, so that they could know him. And I pray that during this time that they would encounter you as the forgiving king who's shown them grace and shown us grace and who desires to set us free from all the things that would keep us captive. Whether that's money, whether that's approval, power, control, all the things that would enslave us, thank you that you're the God who sets us free. Set us free this morning and help us to praise you and enjoy you. In your name, amen. I'm gonna hand it over to Tom so you can...